Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. How confident are you when it comes to life's biggest money decisions? What is real financial peace and how can you get it? Chris Flaming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. They bring together the brightest minds to show you how to have a more confident financial future. They empower listeners with common sense concepts and financial wisdom. And now here are your hosts, LPF Advisors. Hey, I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I'm your host here as always, Chris Flamming. And today I have the pleasure of welcoming Marie Banks to the show. She is a personal injury attorney based in Gainesville, Florida, providing a personal service-oriented boutique experience for her clients during very difficult times. Marie, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Uh, so let's jump in. I know you have a interesting history, an interesting background. So why don't you just take me through that briefly, what led you to where you are today? Okay. Well, I'm originally from Jacksonville, Florida. So Florida native. I decided that I wanted to attend the University of Florida for college. I was raised a Gator, so it was kind of a non-negotiable mm-hmm. to go to UF And I was grateful to have the opportunity to do that. It's really difficult to get in now. This was back in 2004. So I originally was studying TV production. I wanted to be a TV producer. I had a connection with ABC Network, spent some time in New York City one summer working for 2020 in primetime. I was really fascinated with storytelling. I loved the idea of storytelling through video and editing But my time in New York opened my eyes to the industry, and I decided I really didn't want to be a producer. Just it seemed such a high cost personally Mm -hmm. for for my life to be a producer. So I came back. I had one year left of college, and so it felt silly to change my major. But I was a little bit concerned, what am I going to do if I'm not going to be a TV producer? I knew I wanted to live in Florida And I wanted a healthy work-life balance, which I didn't think the entertainment world could offer. And I took a a telecom law and regulation class. It fascinated me. I, you know, at the time when I was graduating, it was 2008. And so there was a presidential election happening and I was kind of into politics and just intrigued by the law process. Mm -hmm. So that was when I first was interested and started to think about law. Of course, I was thinking about media law. And maybe doing some type of copyright law. I was involved with a nonprofit ministry in college called Crew. A lot of people mm-hmm. know it as Campus Crusade for Christ mm-hmm. and enjoyed it as a student and decided that before going to law school, I wanted to take at least a year off and spend some time on staff with the ministry. So I did that for a year and applied to law schools. I got into UF Law, was excited to go. But when the time came that summer before law school started, I took a trip to Paris 
with crew and we did, you know, this really great cultural exchange with Parisian students. And I had had such a meaningful year, you know, I'm a Christian, so I, faith is important to me and mm-hmm. meeting with students, mentoring college students. It was such a meaningful <clears throat> year and spending time in Paris and learning about another culture and having spiritual conversations. I didn't really have an interest for copyright law anymore. And so mm-hmm. I had another little crisis of what am I going to do with my life? I don't think that I'm that interested in media law. I kind of like what I'm doing now. So I put it on pause, wasn't going to go to law school that year, stayed with crew for another year and really thought about what direction I wanted my life to take. That next year I learned it was 2010 to 2011. And there was a lot of information coming out about human trafficking, Mm -hmm. modern slavery, and the fact that it's happening in America, not just overseas. And that really gripped my heart. And so I started to learn more about it, read about it, and became aware of this hole in the system. There there didn't seem to be a place for victims Mm -hmm. to go when they were rescued from human trafficking. And so I decided, man, it would be really great to start a nonprofit and work with victims of sex trafficking and modern day slavery. And I didn't really know where to go to start with that. And law school was still in the back of my head. So I thought maybe, maybe I should try that again. I'll consider law school. So I reapplied because I, you know, had turned down UF after they mm-hmm. let me in. So I reapplied to UF. They let me back in, thankfully. So I went, but now I had gone to law school with a totally different purpose, more of a social justice, working with victims mm-hmm. and loved law school, loved my time at UF law, spent a lot of time learning about human rights, um, international law. And in the middle of all that, I got married and my husband and I had gotten connected with a great community here in Gainesville and just decided, man, we don't want to leave Gainesville. Let's stay and try to find jobs here. Mm -hmm. So when I graduated from law school, I had a connection to this firm, Shackow Mercadante. Someone introduced me to Brian Shackow. I had no inkling of wanting to do personal injury law. It wasn't mm-hmm. on my radar, largely because of the reputation that I think is associated with personal injury. And I still had this dream of doing the nonprofit. But I walked into this firm and immediately I was attracted to how they practice the law. I was attracted to the work-life balance they represented. They all had families. They all spent time with their families, worked nine to five, went home. And I thought, man, I want to work here. So I kind of got my foot in the door and stayed with them. And now here I am. I'm an attorney at Shackow Mercadante Law Firm. And and I love it. I actually love doing personal injury law. And I find that there's a connection with that, you know, helping victims injured. It's Mm -hmm. not too far from you know, what had originally brought me to law. Right. So you get your foot in the door and now your whole self is in the door. Whole self is in the door. Okay. All right. So if you could go, maybe if you could travel back in time, go back in the past, um, give your younger self some advice, something you know now that you wish you knew then, what would that, what would that be? My younger self being my college self that was so confused. Uh, It could be then. It could be when you started your career. I think one thing I would tell myself, I actually say this to a lot of college students now, is there's such a worry about what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And I would tell myself, if I were talking to me, don't worry about the rest of your life. Focus on what you feel called to right now. Mm -hmm. So for me, for a short time, that was ministry. 
right mm-hmm. now it's law and practicing law, but I'm not defined <clears throat> by, you know, I have to stay in this career forever. If I get interested in something else, I can, you know, move into a different career if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. It takes mm-hmm. a lot of pressure off of yeah. I've got to figure out what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. You don't have to have all the answers at a certain time. Right. Yeah. So do you think that there are common misconceptions that people have about what you do or what you can do for them? You kind of alluded to this um, in terms of like people's perception, but what do you run into and maybe initial appointments or something like that that is a common misconception? Yeah, I would break it into two categories of misconception. There's a misconception from the client perspective and a misconception from the public. Mm. So I'll start with the client perspective. A lot of times clients walk in and they have a misconception that I can make a miracle happen for them. That miracle being I can get them whatever they saw on the billboard down the street, whether it's 500,000, a million, you know, lawyers don't put up oh, you know, so-and-so got me $20,000 for my case with the bank out there. Mm -hmm. So there's a misconception by some clients that just because they were injured in an accident, their case is worth X amount of dollars. And really what we're trying to do is find, figure out what's a fair compensation Mm -hmm. for what you've been through. Mm -hmm. And we're limited. We're limited by the amount of insurance available in any given case. And that is a huge spectrum Right. So that's something we have to address. The misconception from the public is that all we care about is money. We're chasing the ambulance. You know, we just want a case because we're going to get a big paycheck at the end. And I do think that there's a reason there's a misconception mm. and a reputation because I do think some attorneys operate that way. But in reality, you know, I think a good personal injury attorney. We're here to help people find resolutions. And sometimes that's not even a monetary resolution. I have a Mm -hmm. lot of people call who they just want to know if they have a case. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I'm telling them, no, you don't have a case. And here's why. And it's my job to explain to them why. And that's almost as valuable to them as getting a settlement. They just want to know, do I have a case? Yeah. A lot of lawyers, I don't think will take the time to sit down and tell them why they don't. Yeah. So yeah, the money-hungry attorney, a misconception, and then money-hungry clients who have a misconception yeah. that can get them big old, big old Well, ones. and I would imagine that telling them up front that you, in your opinion, you don't think they have a case, that could save them a lot of time and energy and mental anguish and going through that whole process and then being disappointed about the potential result. Yes, I would say really what happens is if I say, If they call in and I get an intake sheet and I can look at that intake sheet and know pretty quickly if they have a case. Mm -hmm. And a lot of attorneys might turn to their intake specialist and say, just send them a letter saying we're not going to take their case. Mm -hmm. You don't say why. They're just going to keep going and try to find an attorney that's going to take their case. Mm -hmm. If I can have a conversation with them and say, here's here's why I think your case is really difficult or why you don't have a case that helps them stop the journey. Mm -hmm. And I always say that's my opinion. Go get another opinion from another Mm -hmm. attorney, but it's so much more helpful for them not to waste their time or mental energy worrying. It gives them closure. Yeah. Right. And that's really at the end of the day, what people are looking for. So then they can move on. So you kind of hinted on this, but maybe could you paint a picture of what your ideal client looks like? So an ideal client for your, for your practice or for your firm. An ideal client. I'm going to talk about it in a way of maybe a personality that I enjoy Mm -hmm. working with because 
I don't get to choose the types of accidents or, right. you know, obviously I want a case where there's actually insurance money available where I can help mm-hmm. somebody. So I found the clients that I enjoy working with the most um, are the clients who understand the value of what I'm offering them, which is peace of mind. Mm -hmm. I want to take everything off of your plate and I want you to focus on getting well. And I want you to trust me to handle everything that needs to happen with the insurance company. Not everybody maybe trusts attorneys. And so this is a difficult question because I think a lot of it relies on or depends on me and how I communicate and educate the client along the way Mm. to help develop that trust. A lot of people who come into this, they have no idea what to expect, but I think an ideal client is for me, somebody who is just willing to trust and listen and, you know, believe me when I, when I tell them things, Mm -hmm. I don't know. If we're looking for more of a circumstantial answer, obviously I really enjoy helping people who've been in car accidents Um, I think it's a little bit more cut and dry than perhaps somebody who's fallen in Mm -hmm. a business. Those are harder cases, especially Mm -hmm. with the law that was just Mm -hmm. passed in in March. But does that answer your question? I don't know if that does. Yeah, there's no right answer. So I wanted you. You're true. You're true. Everyone's an ideal client for me. I don't want to I don't want to say something and then limit someone's like, I don't fall into that category. So I couldn't call. I will. I'll talk to anybody. We'll go with that. (laughs) Okay. Now I know that when people come in for an initial appointment or you do a conversation on an intake, uh, there's probably some general concerns or what their biggest fears are that you encounter, you know? So I'm, I'm imagining, um, you know, I want you to tell me whether I have a case and then I just don't want this to happen, or I just want to make sure that whatever happens, this occurs. So are there some commonalities there that, that kind of run their course through different conversations you have with people? Yes, I would say the biggest concerns, let's see, I'll try to do a top three. What's going to happen with my vehicle? Mm. A lot of times people have a vehicle that maybe is a total loss. And the law says that all they're entitled to is the fair market value of their vehicle at the time of the accident, not what they paid for it. Yeah, And most people aren't ready or in a position to buy another vehicle. Think about mm-hmm. if you're a, a financial planner, is that right? Mm-hmm. And so people usually plan to buy a vehicle. And so that's a huge concern is the car. How am I going to get around? I need a rental. I can't get to work. I've been paying for Ubers. I, you know, they're really concerned about the car. Mm-hmm. And even if they get an offer on the total loss of the vehicle, it may not to them feel like they can get a a reliable vehicle with that money. So that's a huge thing that we have to work through and address. Uh, Second would is similar medical bills. How, who's going to pay for my, for my treatment. I'm really injured. I'm hurt. And I need to see all these specialists. How is that going to get paid for? We, you know, we go over that Mm -hmm. in the special consult and then work, work is another big one. I'm losing time from work. I'm losing wages. Mm -hmm. You know, I had, I have a client who is a photographer and he had a really nasty fall and had to get a shoulder surgery. He was, his shoulder is really important to him and his job. He has to hold a camera up and he couldn't work for several months. And and that's a huge concern for him. So all of those typically have to do with money. That's like the big, Mm -hmm. some people are living paycheck to paycheck and they need to figure out right now, how am I going to live my life? Um, And then of course the bigger things like, 
well, am I going to get well? Mm-hmm. Most people don't know the full extent of their injuries when we're having the consult. So those are the main ones. Okay. Yeah, no, that's helpful. And I I know that, you know, you help people get through really big life transitions, especially if they've had an injury of some kind. So I'm wondering, you know, how you help to de-stress the situation. Is it giving them a clear understanding of what the process is? Is communication important throughout um, to, to keep them abreast of what's taking place? So then their emotions are already high, but how do we keep keep them from escalating and trying to, you know, maintain a certain level of emotional balance through the ordeal? I think I've learned being a listening ear is important. Sometimes mm-hmm. clients just want to complain about it to somebody. Mm-hmm. Sometimes clients are very angry. They're angry at what's happened to them. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can kind of be a punching bag and I've learned not to take that personally. So listening, being a good listener, active listening, and then offering practical steps to take. So when it comes to the car, you know, we have a lot of experience with dealing with property damage claims and my legal assistant, Teresa, is phenomenal with them. And so making sure that we are giving good practical steps for them to take while also sometimes it's just saying, I'm sorry, it's this way. This isn't fair. Mm -hmm. It's just the way the law is. And so educating them and giving them a space to be frustrated about it, but then saying, here's some ideas for coming out of this. So it's offering, I mean, I think a lot of times really trying to think of practical life advice, which isn't always legal advice. It's just, I often think, well, that's why they call us counselor in the law room, like in the courtroom. It's Mm -hmm counseling people all the time. Mm -hmm. And I want to, if you'll allow me to, I want to switch gears just a little bit. So I noticed when I was doing some research on our conversation today that you do these uh, car accident chaos prevention or sessions. Um, So why don't you tell me more about that and, and maybe highlight some things that we all overlook in our preparedness for that possibility? I'm so glad you asked me that because I was thinking about a way to incorporate it in. It goes really well with the last question of how do you help minimize a lot of that stress and anxiety and emotions after an accident? Really the best way, and this is why I've been blasting it so much in every outlet I can find, is being prepared if Mm -hmm. you can be prepared. So I think the main things that people overlook right now are knowing what's on their auto insurance policy. I had no idea what was on my auto insurance policy before I worked here. Mm -hmm. I knew I had one. I know you have to have one um, to have a car, to drive a car in Florida. Most people have no concept of what's required in Florida, what's good to have. They don't know what uninsured motorist is. There's just a lot of things people don't know. So it's really important to sit down either, you know, that's why I've offered the free planning sessions to sit with people. And I would love to go over the policy with you and educate you on what does this mean? What Mm -hmm. do you have? What do I think you need? If you're in an accident, here's how this policy is going to play out, how it's going to hurt you, how it's Mm going to help you. Mm -hmm. I can't change their policy. You know, I can recommend agents, you know, people that they can talk to, to, to have a quote run on their policy. But so I've noticed our firm has noticed, I think in this, economic time we're in with inflation, a lot of people are trying to cut costs across board, the board of your yeah. budgets. Mm-hmm. 
And we think that people are trying to cut their premiums. Premiums are going up for a lot of the big companies. And so they say, well, how can I get that down? People don't understand the risks they take when they get in their car every day. If you get in your car every day and you drive to work, you're taking a risk. Mm-hmm. Just taking a risk. People are driving recklessly. You know, I think that the statistic is about, I think every person su- supposed to be in an accident three to four times in their lifetime. That's a lot. And so yeah. risk. So that would really, you know, take a lot of the stress and chaos out if you had a really good auto policy in place. And then I think having an action plan for what to do if the accident happens. Mm. So it's one thing to have a good policy and I've helped friends or people have good policies. And then the first thing they do when they get in accidents, they call me, what am I supposed to do? What do I do next? And so that gave me this idea of part of the planning session of coming up with an emergency plan. We have a document that's personalized to the person five, the next five things you need to do when the accident happens, here's who to call first, you know, all these things, let's get your policy number, your vehicle, Mm. everything that you're going to need to open a claim, which insurance company do you call first? Mm. What's that process going to look like? I think it takes a lot of the, the stress that comes from an unexpected event happening. If you can plan it. Right. Yeah. It's already going to be stressful because you're, because it's an accident. But then the the aftermath, being prepared, that would certainly help. Okay. Thank you for that. That's good. Um, I have an idea I want to talk to you about after we go off the air. So let me keep going here. I see you have made time for mentoring. Mentoring is um, near and dear to my heart as well. So why don't you tell me more about that and what maybe some tips that you have for creating a a work-life balance. I know the mentoring doesn't deal with the same as the work-life balance, but you being able to do that and be involved in that certainly demonstrates that you've gotten to a certain level of work-life balance. Yes. Great question. So the mentoring, there's a couple of ways I like to be involved in mentorship. One is I, I just love to mentor college women. And so it's not specific to law. It's just, Mm -hmm. I remember being in college and it being overwhelming. I think it's more Mm -hmm. overwhelming now for some reason for college Mm -hmm. students. Um, And then, you know, I was also pretty involved in the Christian Legal Society in law school. And there've been a couple of opportunities I've had to go back and speak to law students. Mm -hmm. I'm very big on work-life balance. And a lot of what, you know, I tell students about it is when you're looking for a career or you're looking for a place to work and you're interviewing with an employer, it's important to ask questions about the place you're going to work. Are you, Mm -hmm. you know, expected to work after hours or on weekends here at the firm. And, you know, back when I was telling my story about how I came to work here, I was very obvious to me that the firm values family life. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I noticed is, you know, we're a small personal injury law firm which means we have a low volume of cases. We don't take on, I don't take on 200 clients at a time. My client list is somewhere between 30 and 60 at any given time. It's still Mm -hmm. a lot of clients and it Mm -hmm. keeps me busy, but it gives me the ability to, to really dive into each case and be present and available for my clients and not have that stress over my head of, I need to keep working after hours. I think that's Mm -hmm. what helps me have the balance because I'm not 
I'm not doing this to be this massively wealthy personal injury attorney. You can make good money practicing law and, you know, I, I earn well, but Mm -hmm. it's more important to me. Part to me, part of the compensation package is I have flexibility in my schedule. I can go mentor someone. I can, you know, spend time with people and still get all of my work done because I have a lower volume of cases. Mm -hmm. I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, um, moving forward, Marie, what do you kind of see, uh, the biggest opportunity is for you and the firm going forward? So plans to expand services or messages that you want to get out. Um, what do you kind of see as the next big thing? Great question. We really focused a lot last year on a marketing campaign, trying to figure out where our place is in the community. Mm-hmm. Gainesville is small. And obviously we serve more than the Gainesville area. Yeah. We could serve anybody in the state of Florida, but Gainesville is small. And there's a lot of local personal injury attorneys. And then we also have the big guys. We're all, mm-hmm. we're all fishing in the same small pond. Mm-hmm. So I think where we've landed is we, we really want to be the firm that has clients who want a service oriented law firm. Okay. Some clients or some people are really attracted to the big firm and big staff and big everything. And that's great. You should go to those firms. But if you're looking for, that's why earlier, I think in the bio, it said something about a boutique experience. If you want more of that service oriented boutique type of lawyer, we're yeah. old school in yeah. that way. I think in the future, there's a temptation to try to just do what everyone else is doing. Maybe we should get on a bus or maybe we should get on a billboard, but that's not who we are. And so yeah. I think, Moving forward, we want to do our best to still be noticed, which is a lot of that digital, you know, marketing or mm-hmm. having these great connections and conversations with people. I, I I want to do more of the planning. I really want to give back to the community with those free planning sessions because then I just know, even if they don't come to me, if they're in an accident, I know they've got a good insurance policy. They're going to get the help they need. So more of that just community-focused law practice is what I see for our future. Okay. Okay. I like that. Uh, That's that boutique kind of attitude or experience that you want to try to try to get out there. So maybe on the flip side of that, Marie, what are you seeing as the biggest challenge or obstacle that the the firm is yet to overcome or wants to? It doesn't have to be related to the opportunity. Maybe it is, but what what do you view that as being? I think the biggest obstacle is name recognition mm-hmm. in a field with so many names. Mm-hmm. If someone's in an accident, they're going to think of one of the big firms. I mean, those firms do a phenomenal job of of advertising on every level. Mm-hmm. And so they have the money to do that. So that's a huge hurdle for us. It's an obstacle just in the sense of do people know we exist? We get a yeah. lot of word of mouth referrals former clients referring, you know, there's a lot of that and that's big in Gainesville. So that's a hurdle. And um, I think just still people not knowing the value of a personal injury attorney. I think a lot of people in our community and maybe just the world in general are annoyed by all of the attorney ads and the personal injury. It's kind of a joke. Mm -hmm. Many people don't take us seriously as, as someone who can help them. So yeah, there's a couple of obstacles. 
there's some education to that. Right. Right. Yeah. That's always the difficult part. I'm with you on that. Okay. So if people wanted to learn more about you or contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? I think two ways they can call my office and ask for me. Okay. And uh, do you want me to give a phone number? Sure, you can. Obviously, okay. absolutely. Uh, our phone number is 352-371-3000. Okay. And then you can check us out on our website, which is um, lawshack.com. So shack out is spelled S-C-H-A-C-K-O-W. So it's L-A-W-S-C-H-A-C-K.com. If you want to reach me personally, a great way to do that is email and my email is just my first name, Marie at lawshack, L-A-W-S-C-H-A-C-K.com. So okay. Uh, that's a, that lawshack thing actually is kind of ke- catchy, even though I know it's spelled a different way, but it still <laughs> sticks in your mind and remembering. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, Marie, listen, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. Good conversation. It was a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for having me on your podcast. It was yeah. a, a fun time. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we hope to raise the financial education level of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and being here. We'll see you next time. Be well. Take care. Thanks again, Marie. Thank you. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.